Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, Brian. How you doing, Mr. Daniels? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing good. The first thing I want to mention to you are, uh, you were born in Brooklyn, New York, correct? Correct. Uh, what was life growing up uh, in Brooklyn back then? It was uh, much more middle class than it uh, turned out to be uh, later on. That's all I can say about it. It was much more middle class, less downstream, violent or anything like that. That's where we were born, but we didn't stay there very long. We finally wound up in Queens and then out into Long Island, my family and I. But I was Brooklyn-born, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just interesting because when I was looking up the information, like, you know, I, I'm so used to hearing the the kind of English accent. So when it came to finding out you were born in Brooklyn, I thought, that's interesting because I, I don't really get the Brooklyn accent. Yes, no. I, I lost that a long time ago. I lost that when I was about 15 years old and went into a, a, a play called Life with Father, which was a family in the play from New England. I spent uh, several years with it. I picked up uh, that kind of New England accent without thinking about it, and I, I guess I've never lost it since. Oh, nice, nice. In 1945, you were drafted in the Army, and you served as a DJ for Army Radio. Uh, what was that experience like? Well, it was kind of strange. I did, I think, 16 weeks or maybe 13. No, I think 16 weeks of basic training in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I made a lot of good friends there. Mind you, I'd been in entertainment most of my life, so it was kind of a pleasure to just be a soldier. And I had a lot of good friends with me, and we were sent overseas, and at that point, we were on this uh, this bus, and they pulled me off uh, because of my uh, identification as a performer. And so I wound up in a, a radio station in Livorno in Italy. And that's where I spent my time as a, a DJ. And then I finally, everybody else went home and I, I wound up running the station with a group of about, oh, I don't know, six or eight people. And, you know, I was only 18. It was quite a good experience. And I will always remember Livorno. Now, of it course, was called the Armed Forces Radio Service. Now, I, I want to mention this as well. You're actually an alumni of Northwestern University. Do you mind explaining uh, how you got there and what you studied at the Northwestern? Uh, I was in a play uh, called Life with Father, and uh, I went to the, the gentleman who played Father, who was also uh, wrote the play with uh, Russell Krauss, and I said, you know, I, I'm wondering if I should go to the Academy of Dramatic Arts, and he said uh, to me, he was in his dressing room putting on his makeup, he said, close the door, and I went over and closed the door, and he said to me, I'm on the board, don't go there. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, what you, what you have to do is you you're going to be drafted. You will get uh, the GI Bill, and you write to the government to find out which universities has a good theater department, and that way you get your education, you know, university education plus the theater experience that you will get at that school. And that's exactly what I did. And I wrote to the government, and they wrote back, and they gave me a bunch of schools, and one of them was Northwest. Now, my sister at that time was working with Walter Houston in a play in Chicago, uh, Chicago. and uh, my mother said, I think one of these schools is up here somewhere, uh, you know, and so I wound up up there, and they, um, they were interested in me because I'd been on Broadway, and so I went to that school at Northwestern where I met my wonderful wife, Bonnie. And uh, we spent uh, three and a half years. She was in a rush to get to New York. I wasn't. I loved Evanston, Illinois. But I followed her there after we uh, graduated in three and a half years. And that's when we got married. Young love at its finest, eh? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. and of course, when we're talking about Bonnie, you just mentioned about your wife, which it ties in really nicely with my next question. You played Dr. Craig in St. Elsewhere. She was also on the show playing Ellen. And yes. she also played Dean Bolander in Boy Meets World. So you guys teamed up a nice few bits in your TV careers. Tell me yes. how that all came to be. First off, starting with St. Elsewhere. Well, uh, actually, um, it was before we were freshmen at Northwestern, and we were all in a room uh, auditioning for a play, and I heard her, and I immediately knew that she was an actress, whereas the other ones I wasn't sure of, and I was a pretty cocky kid at that point. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, I uh, waited at the door because I wanted to meet her. When she came by, I said, how about a cup of coffee? And she said, you're too short. Too <laughs> And I said, uh, yeah, okay, how about a cup of coffee? She said, okay. And we went out and had a cup of coffee, and we've been together ever since. Oh, that's that's nice. At least she, at least she gave you the chance for a cup of coffee, right? Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. In 1986, you and your wife made history, becoming the first married couple to win an Emmy Award uh, on the same night since 1965. How cool mm -hmm. was that? How cool? Yeah. How cool was it, too? We're both, both. <laughs> See, I love that. How cool. Well, uh, I don't know. It, it was uh, a strange thing for us to uh, suddenly be together getting these Emmys. What happened was I got an Emmy uh, one year, then the two of us got an Emmy the second year, and then she got an Emmy alone the third year. So we have, uh, we've got four of those Emmy Awards sitting up on our shelf here. That's pretty much all they're worth for. <laughs> I don't. I don't know about that. I think enemies are pretty cool. I'd like to win one someday. <laughs> okay. um, also, in uh, in 1999 to 2001, you served as the Screen Actors uh, Guild president. How did you land that uh, that role? Well, uh, th there were a couple of uh, fellows who were more involved 
in the union than I was. And, but they uh, asked me to come and have uh, breakfast with them at this place that everybody had a breakfast with. They wanted to know if I could mention somebody for them who was prominent uh, that would have a chance to replace the man that they had grave differences with. So I went with uh, over there and met them uh, for breakfast, and and I was trying to think of somebody who would be prominent enough. Uh, but this turned out to be a whole farce. They really got me there because they wanted me to run. So uh, when I heard all of their grievances, and they had a lot, I said, well, how about me? And they said, Absolutely. And I said, well, I don't know if I could get elected. They said, you'd get elected in a minute. So I ran, I, I won, and uh, I spent two years. Part of those two years was a six-month strike, which was very stressful. Uh, we hung in there, and we got a really good contract. And so at the end of two years, I was very happy to have achieved that and to leave and not be president any longer. You took it and you ran with it. Well, yeah, I, I I wasn't prepared to do it, but when they heard all of these problems that they had, I found myself uh, volunteering. Now, I used to, I knew, uh, being in the army, you never volunteer for anything. <laughs> but in this case, I volunteered. But I'm happy to say that uh, it was a great experience. It helped the guild, and we got a really good contract. And I was happy to leave after two years. Explain how you landed the role of Mr. Feeney, because that's uh, pretty much Mr. Feeney is my childhood. Michael Jacobs, the producer, wanted me to do this uh, fellow named Mr. Feeney, who was a teacher. Now, I thought that the name Feeney was a kind of a funny name. I, I thought, well, I, I don't want to play a character that denigrates teachers because... I find that they are important to our country, and they're underpaid, and so I turned it down. And so he asked me to come to his office and <laughs> to take a meeting after I turned it down, and I went to his office, and he said, Bill, uh, you know, I have a, a great deal of respect for this role. Uh, I uh, fashioned it after a man who was my uh, teacher in high school, who, uh, who was a mentor of mine that I greatly respected, and that's the way I'm going to write this role, even though maybe Mr. Feeney sounds like something that you might make fun of as a teacher. I said, yes, that's what I was worried about. And then he said, we're not going to do that at all. We're going to treat him with great deal of respect because I think of him as my mentor in high school. And I said, well, in that case, okay. And that's what happened. He treated Mr. Feeney with a great deal of respect. And it turned out to be, I don't know, I was terribly surprised how iconic this role seemed to be from all the people I heard of, from all the uh, fan mail I got and people telling me how important it was, their lives and so forth. It was. It turned out to be a tremendously wonderful experience for me to 
relate to people that that strongly. No, and I mean, it's a credit to you. You played the role really well. Uh, I watch Boy Meets World pretty much every few months. I'll turn it on, and there's episodes that really, like, you know, get to your heart. There's episodes that you really deliver lines. Like, the one that I kind of think right off the mark was the one where you wanted them to get tickets to the Super Bowl, and the whole episode is about Sean trying to get into college. And, you know, Corey, Topanga, Sean come to you and say, well, we tried and that's all you wanted us to do. And like you got into them hard about saying like, no, you don't understand what I want you to do. And I was thinking to myself, like, he's really going for this part. And he's and even when I'm sitting watching it at home, I was thinking like, I don't want Mr. Feeney mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I have to confess. uh, What do we do? Five or six seasons. Uh, I don't remember any of it, uh, <laughs> you know, seven seasons of uh, Boy Meets World. And uh, so you say your lines and you play them and then you forget them because you got the next ones to uh, memorize and so forth. So I don't remember much about it at all. And now it's a, a bit of a time since then. But I'm glad to hear that. You know, that's, that's great. I just want to ask you, you know, because you said that Mr. Feeney was a funny name. And in even in the TV series, Eric starts to, to use the Mr. Feeney call. How did you feel about that? I don't know. I didn't know what to do with that. I mean, uh, I remember I was in New York walking down, uh, walking down 46th Street, and a bus of kids got out of their bus, and they saw me uh, as I was walking down, and they said, Feeney, Feeney, and they came rushing at me. Well, frankly, I just ran around the corner uh, to disappear from them. I, I had no idea uh, why they were rushing at me, but I don't know. Uh, I thought it was a nice part, but that it would become iconic, I didn't believe in a minute, but I was surprised about it, and I'm pleased about it. Nevertheless, it was a, a very peculiar experience for me. What's some of your favorite memories from doing the show Boy Meets World? The, uh, the last one, at the end of the show, uh, I dismissed the class, and I stood there alone at the desk, the teacher's desk, and I looked over this empty class, and I said, I love you all. And I got to admit that I got very emotional after that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I would too. I mean, you know, cluing up a series, cluing up a show, something you've you've done for seven years. What's your your relationship with the cast today? Because, I mean, you've also done a bit of Girl Meets World with them as well. Yeah, well, I don't see them only very occasionally. You know what happens with these things. Everybody, and when it's over, everybody goes off in different directions, no matter how close we were during the performance of the shows. Uh, they, everybody goes off in their own way and uh, pursuing their own careers, and you only very occasionally uh, bump into them. In the later seasons of Boy Meets World, it kind of got into more serious issues. Now, we didn't really get that with Girl Meets World because they canceled it. Uh, Do you think that if it was still on TV, we'd get a little bit more serious issues? Well, that's a hypothetical question, so I I really don't know uh, how 
that would have been if it had run longer. I, I can't uh, uh, say anything about that. Okay, no, that's fair. Uh, did you enjoy, though, the Girl Meets World nostalgia? Because, I mean, my generation who watched Girl Meets World really liked seeing Sean, Corey, and yourself pop up on episodes. So uh-huh. was that... was that? Well, could- I remember when I finally uh, did the first few shows, uh, here they were much older now and uh, it was quite a quite a revelation to me oh my god <laughs> well, you know they were much older <laughs> that's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight our thanks to William Daniels for coming on the show remember you can find past present and future episodes on TobinTonight.com Spotify and iTunes follow us on Twitter like us on Facebook and leave a comment or two for Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying thanks for listening and good night. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.